The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early in the morning, while it was still dark, and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Mary stayed outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and then reported what he told her. The Gospel of the Lord. The Church is very focused in its liturgy today in terms of the way it celebrates the life and the example of St. Mary Magdalene. The first, as we heard in our collect, our opening prayer, the first before any other to proclaim the resurrection of the Lord. What a remarkable gift that is. It is the apostles who announce the victorious resurrection of the Lord to the world. But it is Mary Magdalene who announces this victory to the apostles. This is why from very ancient times, the fathers of the church referred to her as the apostle to the apostles. Not the one sent to the world, but the one sent by the Lord to the church. And this witness and this unique status we see given to her by Christ himself in our gospel reading today, with that command spoken directly to her, cling not to me, but go. Go to them and tell them. And so it is she who is sent. It is she 
who goes, it is she who is the first to bear witness to the risen Lord, a witness that is born to the church. And as we marvel at this, it is important to see from whence this ability, this status comes. Where does it arise? And on the one hand, the easy answer is, well, obviously the Lord chose her, called her, and sent her, and that is true. But it begs the question of why is it that she is the one who is at the tomb that way, to meet the Lord in that way, to be sent by the Lord in that way. Others were at the tomb that morning and did not see the Lord that way and were not sent by the Lord that way. But this woman was. And our first clue to that is our first reading and our responsorial psalm, which speak of the ardor of a heart that is seeking after the one whom it loves, the object of its desire. And the restlessness that comes with that seeking, a restlessness that keeps the heart moving and looking even through the dark of night, when by definition there's nothing to see because it's all dark. And yet the heart continues looking, continues moving, continues going out beyond itself, restlessly striving, knowing it will never be content until it finds that one who is its great desire. St. Augustine himself spoke of a similar movement, a similar stirring in the heart, which is fundamental to man, but man often buries or numbs himself to. You have created us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts will always wander restless until at last they rest in you. But the restlessness of which Augustine speaks is the restlessness of all too many hearts that do not know where their rest will be found, that do not know where their peace will be found. They are restless, but the restlessness has no direction. It moves in many directions, hoping maybe here I will find my peace, hoping that maybe here I will find my contentment, and this is the story of all too many who live in this world. We spend so much time drifting from experience to experience, relationship to relationship, place to place, career to career, friendship to friendship, pastime to pastime, hoping within us that this unsettled character of our hearts will finally obtain its rest in one of these things. And it never does. But this is not the restlessness of the heart of Mary Magdalene. Hers is the restlessness that knows exactly whom it desires, knows precisely whom it loves. And so this restlessness is not extending itself in random directions, desperately hoping that maybe I get it right this time. Rather, this is the heart that knows I will only find my rest in him. And so it is him 
whom I seek, and no one else, and nothing else. And no lesser thing will be my rest, no lesser thing can be my peace, because my rest and my peace are only found in him. And so that great restlessness of love from the depth of the heart, turning to the Lord and saying, only in you, you are my God, you are the one whom I seek. Psalm 63, our responsorial psalm, begins with those words. O God, you are my God. It is you I seek. And that seeking is described as the thirsting that is very much like dry land that hasn't experienced rain in a very long time. And the soil is lifeless and arid and turned upward toward the heat of the sun, longing for water. And the author of the psalm says, that's me. That is me. Because without you, that's all I am. And that dry nothingness in me yearns for you because you are the only water that can refresh it and give it life. And my soul will be filled even with the wealth and the riches of a banquet when my soul knows you. What a remarkably powerful series of images those are. And the church takes these images and applies them to this woman, Mary Magdalene, who, in a beautiful physical and personal fulfillment of that marvelous mystical text in our first reading, does arise in the darkness well before dawn because she must seek out that one who is the only one who can be her peace and her rest. And so she rises and she goes, and before the earthly sun rises in the sky, she finds herself there at the tomb. Notice that she is no latecomer. She is the first one to arrive. And she arrives because her heart is still seeking him, whom the world has apparently so rudely snatched away from her. And yet she will not stop seeking him. And in discovering that the tomb is empty, she does not know what to do. Because now there is no place for her to find him. As long as the body was in the tomb, at least she knew that. I have somewhere to go. Even though that was really the seeking after a memory. But it was something. And that memory was more important to her than many other things. And so she runs and she first gives witness to the empty tomb. They have taken the Lord away, and we don't know where they have put him. 
but the disciples can't help her find him. And she returns to the tomb. She doesn't go back home. She doesn't shrug her shoulders. She doesn't seek to take the pain away with some lesser consolation because only one will console her and no one else. And so she stays in that garden before that tomb, weeping. And what unfolds is remarkable because her tears provoke her to look one more time into that empty space where he had been, but where he is not right now. How many times have we done that? We've lost something. We know it's not in a certain place, but we check there every 10 minutes anyway. Because just maybe St. Anthony's going to hook us up and it's going to be there. And so here we have this notion of she checks one more time. And through her tears, she sees angels. And how many of us would tell ourselves how wonderful it would be if I could just see an angel? How consoling that would be. Imagine that. One would think that in her grief, the sight of the angels would be consolation, and she keeps weeping. And so heaven says to her, why, why are you weeping? And her answer is a little different this time. She says to the disciples, they have taken the Lord, and we don't know where they put him. it becomes clearer now. They have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have placed him. Note how deeply personal that now becomes. It is not just the Lord. It is the one who is my Lord. It is not merely that we don't know. No, these tears are mine. These are not simply our tears. These are my tears. Because I don't know. And notice that she is not content with angels. You know, the rest of us might happily sit there and say, what can you tell me? Let's sit down. Explain this to me. She wants nothing to do with the angels because as great as it is to see the angels, and she sees two of them, that's not who she's looking for. Even a heavenly consolation cannot satisfy her if it is a lesser thing than Christ himself. This is the one we celebrate today. Others on hearing the word of the angel would leave thinking, oh, Jesus got this. It's all right. But that's not why she's there. She doesn't want to hear about Jesus. She's not interested in the angel saying he's been raised because she's not there for news. She's not there for information. She doesn't want to know about Jesus. She wants Jesus.
And there's a real difference between those two things. Something that we Christians need to remind ourselves of on a regular basis. For all of our Bible studies, all of our book discussions, all of our catechetical videos that we watch, and those are all good things. For all of the preachers that we listen to, that's all fine. But in reality, we have to be very careful about falling into the trap of merely satisfying our curiosity, of merely knowing about the Lord without ever investing ourselves in the risk of actually meeting him. Mary Magdalene won't settle simply for memorizing her catechism. She doesn't want another Bible study. She wants him. And those things are only valuable to her in the way that they bring her to him. And so it is that not even two angels is good enough. And it's at this point that a voice from behind her catches her attention and she turns around. And note what the Lord is doing. He's teaching her first I do not dwell in the place of the dead, but I stand in the land of the living. And you, looking into the place of loss, will not see me there. But I will call you through this desire for me to turn around and meet me in the land of the living. And so she turns from the darkness of the tomb and the brightness of the angels to see the Lord before her, the one she loves, the one she desires more than anything. And note how marvelous it is. This is the one she has set her heart on, and she doesn't know him. She doesn't recognize him. How remarkable that is. And again, note what the Lord is doing. In his own quiet, gentle way, he also purifies her desire. Because the Lord is greater than our desires. And sometimes even in our desiring for him, we fall in love with our desire. This picture of him that is less than his fullness. And the Lord is pleased to meet her in this because calling her beyond that is going to enrich her. And so he stands there. If you ever get the chance to go to Paris and visit the great cathedral of Notre Dame, in the cathedral there's a whole series of reliefs around the old sanctuary area that depict different scenes from the Gospels, including one that depicts this exact moment in the garden. Where Jesus speaks to Mary, she turns around and thinks he's the gardener. And it's one of the few pictures you'll ever see of Jesus standing there in floral robes holding a shovel. Because she thinks he's the gardener. Um, but again, what is a gardener? He is the one who tends to the place that it might be beautiful and filled with life. And so she looks at him and says... Tell me where you put him, and I'll go take him. And you can almost imagine the slow, fast smile on uh, Jesus' face. 
In fact, I put him on his own two feet, and he's standing right in front of you. But note how marvelous that is. Again, she states the desire. It's not now simply, I don't know where he is. Note now the desire. You, you're the one who can tell me. And you tell me. Because I don't want to go and visit. I want to go and bring him with me. She wants nothing other than to possess the Lord, than to have him in her life. That is the desire. Tell me where he is and I will come and I will take him. And it's at that point that he says her name. It's at that point that he says her name and gives her that gift of seeing his risen glory and knowing him as that one indeed who was the gardener who planted the garden in Eden, as that one who is truly the Lord and the giver of life, as that one who is the savior, not dead, but wondrously, wondrously alive and here with her. Small wonder she wants to cling to him. Small wonder she wants to hold on to him. And again, wonderfully, note what the Lord does. Don't cling to me. Go now. Go now bearing the treasure of this moment. And you go tell my brothers. You go tell them about this moment. About this burning desire in your heart. And about how it is answered only in me. And that I am no mere memory. I am alive. What a remarkable gift. But note how it's this desire, this desire in her heart for him and nothing less. This desire in her heart to be with him that is precisely the spur out of which Jesus sends her. Because this moment, wonderful as it is for her, is not her private possession. But it's a treasure for the church. It's a treasure for the people of God. It's what we celebrate today. And so you go to them. You go to them and you tell them about me and about you and about this moment in this place. And then they will go and tell the world. But first, you tell them. How wonderful. And note how wonderful it is that we can reflect on these things in this 70-acre garden, in this place, where that same Lord is present. We who gather here today, not simply to sit outdoors in the sunshine, not simply to enjoy the new construction, not simply to savor the statue on the rock. These are all wonderful things. Not simply to meet and befriend one another, which is another wonderful thing. But why are we really here? 
His name is Jesus Christ. And we would be disappointed, I would hope, if we leave here with anything less than him. Which is why he will be on this altar. He himself in this garden. He won't have a shovel in his hand, but he will be right here. For you. For me. For every single one of us. And in that moment when you hear the words, Behold the Lamb of God. Look up and see him. And be ready in your heart to hear him call your name. Because as much as he's here for everybody else today, he's here for you. And note how wonderful it is. We get to come forward. And like Mary Magdalene, we literally do get to touch him. And we get to cling to him at least in this way. We can receive him. And hold him in our hearts who is the ancient desire of our hearts. Let us rest in that. Let us rejoice in that, because when Mass is over, the echo of the Lord's words to Mary Magdalene will be said. Go. Go in peace. Mass is ended. But we go like she did, those who have met the risen Lord and who know it. And we go to bear that knowledge and to witness to that glorious truth, a truth that is not merely a fact, not merely a detail, but the truth of a person we have met, the truth of a person we know into the world. And what a great thing that is. Amen.